money, sex, and power. Sacred gifts or toxic idols. Once again this week, as I've sort of swam into uh, not just the material, what others have said about this, but into the biblical uh, references, I am encouraged because God has something for us to realign our life. Some of you ever go to the chiropractor and you're out of adjustment and uh, you need some straightening out? I tell you what, this series is for the straightening out in our lives. And whether you are a follower of Christ this morning or you're just a seeker of God and trying to figure things out, the adjustment that we need related to this subject, uh, to these subjects, is of critical importance. We mentioned last week this quote from, um, this quote from, I think I got it there, from Richard Foster that says this, no issues touch us more profoundly or more universally. No themes are more inseparably intertwined. No topics cause more controversy. No human realities have greater power to bless or to curse. No three things have sought, been sought after or more in need of a Christian response than money, sex, and power. And so today we're talking about the great exchange, the great exchange. If you also remember last week, I referenced a atheist novelist by the name of David Foster Wallace. And he was a, a very interesting um, uh, novelist and how he articulated things and uh, described things. And a lot of people were drawn into him. And he had this quote, and I want to read it again this morning. And this sort of sets us up for an understanding of what the great exchange and the desire is that I want us to walk away with. In the day-to-day -day trenches of adult life, there's actually no such thing as atheism. Now remember, he is an atheist in the sense that uh, he does not believe that God exists. Difference between atheism and agnosticism, do you know the difference? An atheist says there is no God, an agnostic says I don't know. And so the agnosticism comes through with what he's saying here. In the day-to-day -day trenches of adult life, there's actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. The, everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship be it Jesus Christ or Allah or Yahweh or the Wiccan Mother Goddess or the Four Noble Truths or some invaluable set of ethical principles. Is that pretty much anything else you worship than that, he believes, will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Never going to have enough, right? We just saw. Never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. On one level, we all know that stuff already. It's been codified in myths and proverbs and cliches, epigrams, parables, and the skeleton of about every great story. And he had written a lot of them. The whole trick is keeping the truth up front in daily consciousness. Worship power and you will end up feeling weak and afraid and you will need ever more power over others to numb you to your own power. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. But the insidious thing, the insidious thing about these forms of worship, 
money, sex, power, intellect, is not that they're evil or sinful, he believes. It's that they're unconscious. They are our default settings. Everybody worships something. You may not think of it as something you are worshiping, but the things that God has gifted us, and he's gifted us the good gifts, money, sex, power, those are gifts, and we're going to be seeing that as we unpack them during these weeks ahead. They can get turned, and the adversary turns them. Going back to the Garden of Eden, the same thing he said to Adam and Eve, are you sure God really said that? I think he's keeping you from something. He does the same twisting and turning, and those things which are good, which are sacred gifts, start to become idols that we end up worshiping. Though us in our cultured state would say, well, I don't worship an idol. We're going to see that there's that great exchange that goes on every day, every year of our life, and for lifetimes, and some people never get it turned back around. It's an unconscious drift, an unconscious worshiping of these other things. You know, it was interesting with that retro video that's sort of the bumper video, I guess. I was thinking about it because I'm like, you know, I wish I had a video team when we do that for the common uh, stories that are in the news today. You know, the same video could be made over and over and over and over and over again every year, but just with different news clips because it's just that unconscious drift to be able to worship things rather than the creator of all things. And so our adjustment is to realign our life, whether it's gotten out of alignment or never maybe been in alignment for the first time, and discover what God would have for us. That quote I just gave to you by David Foster Wallace, he gave that in 2005 when he did the commencement address at Kenyon College. And people thought, wow, he's being awful frank and bold and blunt. Do you realize that this famous American novelist, just a few short years after that, who struggled with a lot of things, ended up committing suicide? Did the adjustment get made before the passing from this life? Or did one of those things that he described there, money, sex, power, intellect, did it so haunt him and consume him in his pursuit of life and it's always, I'm not able to get it, that he finally said, I'm done with it. And he took his own life. You see, it can get that serious, can't it? It's said that the loneliest moment in life is when you've experienced that which you thought would bring the ultimate and it's let you down. People who have scaled the ladder of, of great wealth. There's only so many things and so many houses and so many experiences you can have. But if you've got the hole in your heart that God intends to fill, then it's going to let you down. Sex and pleasure and pursuing all, the, all that out, is out there to be able to pursue in our modern sensual world can let you down. And power being able to have the ability to accomplish and make some things happen, and you make some things happen, you accomplish it, you succeed. How many people I've heard that once they reach the pinnacle in their sport of winning the trophy, the Super Bowl, whatever it may be, 
that some of the most difficult days are the days after because they reached the pinnacle of their whole existence for all these years and they realized it was not fulfilling their heart and it was, in one essence, an idol that they pursued and worshipped and then let them down. You and I were intended by God to worship Him and to be able to find our fulfillment in Him at every turn. I want us to read a passage of Scripture this morning in a little bit. But I feel that I need to define some of the terms because you may think of one thing, another person may think of another thing when we use these terms, money, sex, and power. I want to define money this way. It is the currency to gain what you value. If I was to pull out my wallet, I could show you some paper dollar bills, right? If you were in other countries, you could, uh, you know, and there's a peso, there's a pound. The material thing that we have called money, in and of itself, is not all that valuable. It represents something of value, and that currency has had a value attached to it. And so whether it's something that's paper, whether it's something that's metal, Today, with all the cryptocurrency, maybe a Bitcoin or something like that, that, that we associate value to a particular item. And that value can do many things for us. It can make some things happen. Money as a, a currency that, that has value behind it. You can choose uh, to spend it. And you can buy something that you feel that would be valuable to you. You can buy a new car, you could buy a home, or, or maybe it's just the new electronic device or something else that, you know, maybe you're just in a candy store and it's like, I, I just want to treat myself today. So you take money and you buy something of value to you in that particular moment. So you can uh, spend it. You can also give it. You can give it to someone. You can give it to someone who is going on a missions trip that needs some support. You can give it to that person. You can, you can, blackmail, you can be blackmailed and have to give money to be able to keep somebody quiet, right? You can give money uh, for different kinds of reasons, both good and bad reasons, or you can keep it. You can hoard the money or you can rightfully save the money. So when we talk about money, we're not talking about this euphoric thing, oh, money. We're talking about value. And when we pursue money, there's a reason why we need money, because we think money can make things happen that are valuable to us. And so we go on that journey. We go on that journey of being able to, to gather money and to be able to use it. We want to be able to uh, look at being able to spend it or to give it or to, to save it for a reason. Now, here's the interesting thing about actually each of these, money, sex, and power, all three. And it's sort of been described like this. Some, it's like the iceberg. You know, they say that 10% of the iceberg is above the water line, but 90% of the iceberg is below. 
When the Titanic went down, they didn't see the iceberg, right? And they tried to get the ship turned. But the thing that de destroyed and broke open the hull of the Titanic was not the iceberg that was appearing on top. It was the spreading of the iceberg that was below the waterline that just ripped a hole in the hull and the ship went down. So also with money, sex, and power, there's things that we perceive that are at the top, but underneath there's a whole iceberg of jadedness that can bring disruption into your life. So we deal with paper currency of some kinds of means or coins or trading value at the top. We say, hey, yeah, money, yeah, money, money. Show me the money, right? I need the money. But if you go below the waterline, you're going to find that you're dealing with pleasures and advantages that money can buy or the status that money can signify to you. I, I, I've got means or I don't have means. And, but then if you go down a little bit deeper, you realize that there's other issues um, that were not quite at the bottom yet. And underneath that, we can understand that there's issues of covetousness and greed and fear Cravings for safety, prestige, or control that are tied to the money. And then if we keep going, we realize that we're still not at the base of the iceberg. Because the scripture says that it has to do with the condition of the heart. And where a person is at. And some of those deeper kinds of sin or even the sinful nature itself. So when we talk about something like money, as well as sex and power, we all sort of have the concept or definition of, oh, this is what we're talking about up here. But if we pursue it, that's why I think this whole series is quite interesting. You go below the waterline, you, you know, you put on, uh, you know, your scuba equipment and you're going down and you're going like, oh my gosh, there's a lot more here to this. So why do you pursue the acquisition of money like you're pursuing? Or why do you make the spending decisions that you make right now? What are you pursuing? And this isn't a, hey, the pastor is up there trying to beat me up today. No, I'm trying to get you to think and go below the surface and understanding of these things that are in our society that are all around us that we spend enormous amounts of time going after or seeking that there's something deeper, something more soulish at the base nature of it. And you and I are responsible to get to the bottom of those kinds of questions. So money is the currency to gain what you value. Sex is the erotic pleasure you desire to receive or to give. Now here the word erotic is neither good or bad. It's eroticism. God made us as sexual human beings. And so the discussion of sex is not bad. Oh my gosh, we're in church. No, we're going to see in the weeks ahead that it's a sacred gift that God has given us, our sexuality, but more in particular to define sex as the erotic pleasure that we like to receive or to give. And again, it's a value issue. And what's below the iceberg? If you were asking yourself your pursuit of, you know, a, a, a beautiful uh, a marriage and the harmony in the marriage and the physicality and the intimacy in the marriage and you pursue, or maybe you're pursuing it outside of marriage and there's, there's some of the erroneous paths that can be gone down in the whole area of sex. Or question yourself, what's, what's below all that? Not just the entity or the idea that we represent here. But we'll, we'll keep sex more um, thinly defined at the moment as the erotic pleasure you desire to receive or to give. 
And then power is real simple. It's the capacity to get what you want. Now, it may be a physical capacity. You're able actually to make something happen physically. Building, straightening something out. Okay? There's the physical ability you have. The power, a football player that we'd watch on TV, right? They had the physical ability, right? But it may be more than just physical ability. Maybe authority. A policeman stands at an intersection, right? And says, hey, you stop, you come, you go. They don't have the physical ability to stop those trucks and cars, but they have the authority. They have the capacity that's given to them. Even in your household with, with your family, maybe you're a parent, you have the power, right? The capacity to get what you want because you're an authority kind of position. And authority can come about through other means, including material means, like you have the money to make things happen. They sort of interlap, these three do. And so in the definition of these these three things, money, sex, and value, it's coming down to understanding them in these kinds of categories. And then you go below the surf, water surface line, and what's underneath that? You know, I, honestly, when I watch some of the world events, when I watch some of the government kind of uh, bantering and other kinds of things, I anchor a lot on this third one. What's the power trip that somebody's on, Right? I want to be in this prominent position because I have a title. I've been endued, endowed with a position. Are you disappointed you don't have a certain position at your workplace you thought you would get? Was that stroking the power thing? And maybe rightfully so, because it's good. It's a sacred gift to be able to make something happen. What Jesus, uh, God said that in, in, in Genesis, that when he created mankind, he Created them to do what? To rule, subdue, and have dominion over the earth. So power, the ability, the capacity to make something happen is a good thing. But sometimes that capacity can make bad things happen. Or maybe it's something you pursue as an idol unto itself. And then it begins to corrode and to corrupt. It's a toxic kind of thing and can lead people astray. You know, you take celebrities, you know, a lot of a, a great fame and popularity comes to an individual, right? And a lot of these individuals today, you maybe go, I don't know if I'd want to hang around them when you see certain kinds of things. But in their earlier life, they were probably just normal people like you. But sometimes power, fame corrupts and it can corrupt. Absolutely. So we need to pause. Money, sex, and power with these three, as well as there's others. But what is it that causes the corrosion, the lack of getting out of alignment? And we need to get back to a place where they're in, where we're right-sizing them in their right place. Your heart's treasure is on display, either for God or for something he made. And so power is the capacity to pursue and gain what you value. Money is a cultural symbol you exchange in pursuit of what you value. Sex is one of the many pleasures you can value and pursue. And so in this discussion, you just need to understand this, that money, sex, and power are all God-given means of showing you what you value. And they are God-given means, money, sex, and power, to show God what you value. It's important to get that context. What I'd like to do is read a passage of Scripture that's probably a central passage of, of this whole series, and we'll deal with parts of it today. 
But if you've got your scriptures, turn with me to Romans chapter 1, verse 18, and I'm going to read all the way through verse 28. Some heavy, heavy stuff here that the Apostle Paul writes. He says this, For the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and the wickedness of men who suppress the truth with their wickedness. Since what may be known about God has been made plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and His divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God or gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Though they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like human beings, mortal human beings, and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their heart to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received unto themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to depraved minds so that they would do what ought not to be done. I don't know about you, but that's a pretty heavy scripture. Right before that, though, the Apostle Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation to all those who believe every single kind of person. But then as he unpacks his letter to the Christians in Rome at that time, in that first century, he's saying, hey, I want to explain to you the world. And he was a very competent, well-seasoned, well-traveled kind of individual. And the Apostle Paul says, this is what I see happening and so we're going to take a look at this passage because he depicts the decadence and the brokenness of our world of human beings, whether it's in money, sex, or power, and other kinds of dimension. He says there's something, in ma- there's something amiss, out of alignment, something that needs to be corrected, but we have the hope in Christ in the gospel. And then he just unpacks this whole powerful letter and the beauty that we know today as the book or the letter to the Romans. So let's start with that first part. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and the wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. For all of us, for all of your friends, for all your co-workers, for all your buddies, for all your gal friends, for all your family members, we're all in this human boat together. And Paul says that God has been revealed from heaven. God has been revealed to us from heaven, but right now the wrath of God or the discipline of God, the correction of God is coming about. And the reason it's coming about in our world is because of the godlessness and the wickedness of people. 
I don't know if you ever get anxious watching the news or maybe you hear a story from a friend and you go, well, that's just not right. Somebody should do something about it. Yeah, that justice thing raises up with this. It, it says later in Romans, do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. I've got it, got it, got it, got it. God is a God of justice, and he will make all things right, and there is accountability that comes. But as he looks upon human beings, he sees that brokenness, and that brokenness is a drift towards godlessness and wickedness. And why is the wrath of God, why will judgment come someday? The reason is not because God's a meanie, or because God has to be just in order to be holy. The reason it comes about is because the suppression of truth. There is a suppression of truth that goes on in the minds and the hearts of everybody. And some people, sometimes you and I even, we work overtime to suppress the truth that is there. And it's described by Paul as wickedness in this. And then it says, uh, they suppress the truth by their wickedness since what may be known about God has been made plain to them because God has made it plain to them. I don't know if you've ever wondered about, well, maybe we get the choice to sit in church today and hear the scriptures. The scriptures are in a language we understand. What about those who have never heard, right? It's a, it's a big question. You have to desperate and deal with. Are they accountable? But Paul teaches here that in creation itself, that God is making things plain to them, but people suppress the truth. John Piper says this, knowledge of God is repulsive to our sinful nature. Our deepest problem is not ignorance. What can be known about God is plain, as it says right there in Romans 1.19. Our deepest problem is not is that we revolt against the knowledge of God. It is offensive to us. It undermines our independence and autonomy. It's not that some people, maybe you're in this category this morning, you don't believe Jesus. It's not that you don't believe Jesus is Lord. You don't want him to be Lord because you want autonomy as you think of autonomy and independence. And to be able to worship God, well, that means that I would not be in charge. Romans 1.20 continues right with that. For the since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. So there's the wrath of God that's coming because of the godlessness and the wickedness of people. And why is it coming? Because they suppress the truth. What truth? The truth that is plainly seen that God has given to them. What plainly seen truth? And he lists two things here, right? His eternal power and divine nature. I always find it interesting, whether you're an astronomer or you're a surgeon, how you can live in a worldview that doesn't have God. The universe is massive and expanding. And to look at the stars, you're saying, wow, wow, I don't know, I don't understand. It's scary to think about we're on this little dot. I mean, my goodness, they spin up, sent up four, four civilians in SpaceX yesterday or a few days ago, and they landed, and you're going like, wow, that's, that's, that's wild. You know, and then you go up, and, and you see the little earth for what it is. His eternal power and divine nature clearly seen. 
Or you take the surgeon's scalpel and you go through and the predictability of, of where the organs are and all that's going on, the intricacies of every system, whether it's the respiratory system or uh, the system of, of your life, blood, or other kinds of systems, digestive systems, all of that intertwined and you're going like, wow! This just didn't happen! You don't get a dictionary by, you know, blowing up an alphabet factory. It just doesn't happen. All that incredible stuff come together by God. And so it's there to lead us. It's called general revelation. But there's a suppressing of truth because we don't want there to be a God. We want to be able to pursue the things that we value on our own. And it goes all the way back to the fall in the Garden of Eden and the sinful nature that we've been given. They've been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. So guess what? People are without excuse. God doesn't say, depart from me, I never knew you. Because some people rejected Jesus. Because they never even heard the name of Jesus. The decision's based upon if they lived up to the truth. His eternal power and divine nature that was revealed to them. Verse 21 then, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God or gave thanks to him. Oh, wait a second. Now we're, now we're starting to get at the subject of what we're really dealing with here. Although they knew God, that there is a God who exists, and, 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 and God's Spirit calls us into a place of worship, even when we lack information fully, we, we have the world around us to be able to decipher the general revelation even though we don't have this what's called special revelations, God's word and the knowledge of Jesus. Uh, they chose, we've chose, to not glorify him as God or to give thanks to him. What have we chosen to do? But our thinking has become futile and our foolish hearts have become darkened. Now, it doesn't describe it here as light, as truth as light, but the series we came through recently in 1 John, we talked about that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. But here's what happens in our culture, in our real-time world every day, is that we choose to move and to live in darkness and ignorance of that which is truly um, the reality, the, the ultimate worldview. And so we choose to live in darkness and our thinking becomes futile. You know, if you don't eat, you start to shrivel up, right? Someone said to me the other, this week, I was out on something. They said they hadn't seen me for a few months. And they go, hey, it looks like you've lost weight. And I'm going like, really? I don't think I've lost weight at all, you know? But if you don't eat, you will lose weight. You will start to shrink, right? If you do not live in the light, you will end up living in the darkness and you will start to take on the capacity of foolishness and poor thinking. But when you live in the light as he is in the light, he is faithful and just, forgives of us all of our sins, and he is able to disclose to us the things that are of him. So you and I have a choice this morning. You have a choice. I have a choice. Where have you been recently? Have you been living in darkness? You've been living in light. Have you been suppressing the truth? Have you been owning up and seeking the truth? 
Because you as a human being, how you're wired is not just the physical stuff. It's not just the emotional stuff. You are a spirit. Your spirit lives forever eternally, Scripture says. We have these bodies we're clothed in for right now. When we go be with Christ, if we're a follower of Him, then we're given a new body, Scripture says. But you are a spiritual being. And as a spiritual being, you're going in one of two directions every day, every hour, whatever's on your schedule. Are you living into the light? Are you living into the darkness? Are you living into truth and understanding and enlightenment? Or are you becoming foolish in your thinking? And are you pursuing the things that God never intended for you to pursue? Because then it says in verse 22, all they claim to be wise. Oh, I'm very wise. I'm very astute. I've been around. I got PhDs, all kinds of things. They became fools. And they exchanged. They literally exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. The great exchange. You were created in the image of God to worship God and bring glory to Him. That's who you're to be. But in our fallen sinful nature, in our perceived intelligence, we have exchanged that and instead we've gone after the gifts in and of themselves that God gave for his people to enjoy and to bless him and to bless others. And the great exchange goes on day in and day out. Money, sex, power are only three of those things that we exchange. So where do we go to from here? It's a checkup. Alignment, readjustment. Am I pursuing God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, loving Him? Or am I loving the things and the things that God provides? And what is it that's in my daytime or my, my schedule on my phone? What's it that's in my checkbook or in my online app for my bank? Uh, what is it in, in uh, the relationships that are around me uh, that I'm pursuing? What is it there that reflects that I've got my priority right in worshiping God, the one who created all things, rather than worshiping Him? 1 John 5, 21. Do you remember this verse? <laughs> when we closed the series that we were in 1 John, it was this abrupt little ending to the letter that John wrote. I mean, he, he's waxing eloquently about several things, and then he just adds this line at the end, and you almost think like the rest of the letter got lost or something. He just says, dear children, referring to Christians, he says, dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Oh, okay, John, thank you very much. It was his last word in that letter because he knows this unconscious drift like David Foster Wallace talked about. This unconscious drift, we just do these things and we worship something. Keep yourself from idols and worship God. What is an idol? Tim Keller says this, it is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart an imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you, to, you seek to give you what only God can give. 
I want to read just a little bit more of Tim Keller. He's a pastor around of Redeemer Church in New York City. He's working hard in a metropolitan area with people who are pursuing idols. He says this, A counterfeit God is anything so central and essential to your life that you, should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. An idol has such a controlling position in your heart that you can spend most of your passion and energy, your emotional and financial resources on it without a second thought. It can be family and children or career and making money or achievement and critical acclaim or saving face and social standing. And can be a romantic relationship, peer approval, competence, and skill, secure and comfortable circumstances, your beauty or your brains, a great political or social cause, your morality and virtue, or even success in the Christian ministry. When your meaning in life is to fix someone else's life, you may call it codependency, but it is really idolatry. An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. There are many ways to describe that kind of relationship and something, but perhaps the best way to describe it is with the word worship. The old pagans were not fanciful when they depicted virtually everything as a god. They had sex gods, work gods, war gods, money gods, nation gods, for the simple fact that anything can be a god that rules and serves as a deity in the heart of a person or in the life of people. For example, physical beauty is a pleasant thing, but if you deify it, if you make it the most important thing in a person's life or culture's life, then you have Aphrodite, not just beauty. You have people, an entire culture, constantly agonizing over appearances, spending inordinate amounts of time and money on it, and foolishly evaluating character on the basis of it. If anything becomes more fundamental than God to your happiness, meaning in life, and identity, then it is an idol. You see, we think of idols as the statues or things. I remember when I was when I was in Corinth and I was in a tour bus, and uh, I mean, in, in Turkey area, and we were moving our way to Ephesus to see what was there and these broken ruins. And, and they drove us past this area where there were a few columns they tried to get stand up, and they said that was the temple to Diana or Aphrodite, the, the sex goddess, goddess of fertility. And what do I think in my mind? I think, those stupid people. Why do they build a whole temple with columns and have all that? We're all sophisticated in Western culture now. We, we would know not to worship those idols. But the stone statues that were idols, there was something behind them. There was actually demonic activity behind the, the idol kind of things. And they worshipped them. And all these different goddesses. We are no different, friends, than every generation that's come before us a millennium because it goes back to the same thing. The adversary is trying to get us to substitute the worship of God with the worship of something else. We either worship God in this life and find our ultimate delight in Him, or we exchange God for something else and end up spending years, years, in the pursuit of that which only will only disappoint and be our demise in the end. Or simply, we either worship God in this life or we exchange God for something else. Remember the story of Abraham? 
sacrificing Isaac? It's really not drawn out much in Scripture, but in Genesis 22, God said to Abraham, he said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Abraham his whole life longed for a male child that would carry on his lineage in his name. We now look back, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, yeah. But in Abraham in his day, he was desperate. God, just as we pray today, God, do something, make something happen. And God gave him and Sarah at late age, Isaac. And then God shows up to him one day and says, hey, the boy I gave you, I want you to take him and go up on the mountain and sacrifice him. What? What? Get out. He was obedient. And he took Isaac. And Isaac was saying, well, we've got the wood, Dad. Where's the lamb to sacrifice or the animal? And he says, God will provide. He gets there, he lays Isaac on the altar, and he's ready to sacrifice his own son. And what does God do? He says, stop. Pause. I was testing you to see if even your own son and the future of your namesake was an idol. There's a ram in the thicket, get it, and sacrifice it. And so he exchanged he placed the ram there and God let him keep his son. Have you ever had those moments where God's called you to sacrifice something or maybe he's calling you to sacrifice something now and it makes no sense to you? Money, sex, and power. I could relate to all three. How about you? There's been times where, you know, I've given regularly to God, tithes and offerings, and he says, I want you to give this ridiculous sum of money for my sake or for my good or support this cause I'm like, really? Sacrificing even your, your very uh, sustenance in life, your salary times? Why? I want to see if you're willing to glorify me or if money has its tentacles or its toxins in you. I say, yes, God. And I give with a cheerful heart knowing that there's going to be pain involved in this huge amount of financial gift Yes, it's going to a great cause or to ministry or to, to build a church or, or whatever it may be. But I know there's going to be great pain, but I also know there's going to be great delight and joy in it because I'm realigning my adjustments. Okay, that's right. Sex? I promised God that I would be faithful and pure until the wedding night. And that was pretty easy in one sense when you're 19 but when you go through your whole 20s and you don't get married till you're 29? Oh my gosh. Really, God? Will you honor me with your sexual purity until you're married? And by God's grace, I was able to do that. Power? It's the hardest one for me. Some of you know a little bit of my story. I shared a little bit of it in Rooted Group this last week. 20 years. Melissa and I starting and building a powerful church movement, I felt, on the northwest side of a large metropolitan city, enjoying God's favor in the campus and, and the ministries. 
some things got crossways and some other stuff and, and I couldn't understand what God was doing and to me it still is like, yeah, there were some uglies involved and sin involved, not only mine but other people and it's like somehow it came to this thing in a room in an office with, with a district superintendent who says, I don't know how to go forward with all this and I just didn't know what to do but I said, okay. I don't understand this, God. It didn't make any sense at all. And I say, I'll resign. And I'll hand the baton to the younger guy. Sort of some Abraham Isaac moments for me in my life. How about you? And God says, I just want to see. Have you exchanged the worship of me for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles? Oh, not the stones and the bronze statues, but what stands behind those idols. Thankfully, there was one who did not stop that sacrifice, and that was God himself. He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not along with him graciously give us all things? Friends, this series on money, sex, and power the emphasis on sacred gifts needs to go first. God has given them to us as gifts. And he gave them to us as gifts, but the greatest gift he gave was his son, Jesus Christ, so that we could change what's below the iceberg, the sinful condition of the human heart, to glorify him. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, Jesus said, but I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Will you pray with me? Lord, in these sacred moments, we ask that you would work in the hearts and lives of anybody in this room online or watching or listening here after the fact, if there's an idol that they need to relinquish and freshly embrace you, then may you give them the fortitude and the power, the divine intervention and strength to let go to not exchange your glory for idols. Dear children, stay clear from idols. Amen. I'm going to ask the ushers if they take their places to receive the Lord's tithes and offerings. I want to encourage us in this series to not just come and listen or maybe even show up in your groups and interact Ask the Holy Spirit to do some soul care in your own life. And though it may be painful, the peeling back and the changing and the staying clear from certain kind of activities, just come and receive the offering as well as the connect cards that are there. Ask God to work in your own heart. Because what's on the other side of the hard stuff or the pain is great riches. He desires for you to have blessings. He desires for you to live into his fullness. I have come that you may have life and live it to the full. And I also want to encourage you on this journey to keep inviting others because there are people you have touch with that needs some radical readjustment in life. And that adjustment is a relationship with Jesus Christ 
and worshiping the God who created them. Will you stand with me? There's always opportunity for you to pray at the end of service over here in the prayer area for someone to meet you. But I want to send you out with the blessing of God. And now may the God that created us, may the Jesus by which we believe and declare his power and glory and by the Holy Spirit who is present, may he descend upon you afresh and anew to go and abide in the center of his will, worshiping and serving God and not the things that he's given you. Amen.